So this guy is driving his motorcycle across the border, and the uh, guard at the border, he sees behind his motorcycle, he has this like, little um, little mound of sand that he's carting behind him. So he's thinking this guy must be smuggling something. So what are you smuggling? And he's looking through his thing of sand. There's nothing in there. All right. Let's him go through the border. That's what happens day one. Day two, same thing happens. The guy is, goes to the border. He has this motorcycle. Behind the motorcycle, there's this little um, cart or wagon behind the motorcycle that he's pulling along. And in this cart, there is sand. This guy is thinking it must be something he's smuggling across the border. Doesn't know what it is. He's not declaring it. So he goes and he sips through it more carefully, more carefully. He can't find anything inside this mound of sand. That's him through. The third day, same thing happens. The guy comes with his motorcycle. Behind his motorcycle, he has this mound of sand. And he really goes through this with a fine-tooth comb. And he cannot find what is this guy smuggling across the border. Nothing. Fourth day, the guard says, listen, I promise you, I won't arrest you. I just want to know one thing. What in the world are you carting across, smuggling across the border? Motorcycles. <laughs> there is a very sophisticated um, scheme of the evil inclination of the Yitzhahara Start off our day, we think like, ah, oh, today is going to be the day, and accomplish this and accomplish that. And two hours later, sometimes we're left in a day, is looking at the mirror like, where am I? I can't do anything. Paralyzed. Made this mistake, and I made that mistake, and you can't put one foot in front of the other. And um, the question is, how to catch the evil inclination, or catch the Sahara before it gets us? How can we catch that Yetzirah? We know that the Yetzirah is uh, seems to be very sophisticated, and the Talmud says that Yetzirah tells you to do one thing today, seemingly very benign. The next day he tells you to do something a little bit worse. Next day a little bit worse until he gets you to serve idols. Yetzirah has that very sophisticated way of of attracting us to the wrong thing. It seems like you close the door, he comes in through the back door, goes the back door, he comes in through the roof, and he has a very sophisticated way of getting us, and he doesn't give up. The Talmud says the Yitzhara is compared to a uh, fly that, stand, that, that, that stands between the two sides of the heart. The Chafetz Chaim says, why is Yitzhara compared to a fly? Because ordinarily, when a creature, any animal, attacks someone and he gets hit, so the animal, you know, backs off a little bit, gets hit again, he backs off. But the fly doesn't work that way. A fly, you put a fly in a jar, it'll bang and bang and bang against the jar until it dies. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't ever like, okay, I mean, I mean, let me like decrease my speed of acceleration against the walls of the jar. It keeps on going. So to the Yitzhahara, it keeps on going and going until it doesn't ever stops. So the Talmud compares the Yitzhahara to this fly, it doesn't stop. And yet, there's an interesting word the Torah uses this week to describe the method of the Yitzhara, the method of the, the evil inclination, which seems to be very contrary 
to all the compliments that the Talmud gives to it. This week the Torah talks about a woman who is not faithful to her husband. Husband says, do not hang around with Yankel. And she hangs around with Yankel and she is caught. And the Torah goes through a whole discussion about what what should happen to her. She's suspect. So when the Torah begins describing her unfaithfulness to her husband, the Torah uses the word tiste. What does tiste mean? Insane. She acts insane. Now, when you're in a court of law and you say you're insane, what does the judge say? The judge says, well, if you're insane, then you're not guilty. Insane is a way of saying that you're not culpable, that you're not, it's not your fault. When you say, in, in, when you plead insanity, that lessens the burden of guilt against you. So why does the Torah seem to give a compliment to this woman who has done this horrible thing? And the Torah says, oh, she was, she was, she was out of her mind. It doesn't seem to be something that's, that we would associate with, with a, a grievous, egregious error like this. We would say this woman is lustful. We would say she's manipulatory. We would say she is sneaky. We say all kinds of terrible things. And yet the Torah seems to be so like upbeat about sin. Ah, she's just insane, just crazy. And especially because the Eitzahara is so crafty. There's no one, there's no creature as crafty as the Eitzahara. So why is the, term the Torah uses for the Sahara as insane. Is it if it if it's crafty and it's sophisticated and it's um gets us in such a subtle way, why are we calling him insane? And the the, the Torah wants us to know something about the Sahara by classifying it as insane. The Torah wants us to know, I mean, you, you, we see always in the news, all these people, whether they are servants of the government, uh, public service, or they have their own businesses, and a one moment of infatuation of this, of that, all of a sudden they ruin their whole career. So it seems insane to ruin your whole life's work for just one moment of fleeting pleasure. Okay, so that's, but that's not what the Talmud is saying. That's not what the Torah is saying. That just says that the result of what they've done is is insane. The consequences of their action are insane. But that's not the method. That's not the that's not the the way it works. By the Torah classifying her mistake as being insane, the Torah is not just saying her the consequences of what she does is 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 ridiculous. The Torah is saying what's the motive is insane. Why is the motive of the Yitzhahara insane? So the Yitzhahara, if some of the what Yitzhahara means, Yitzhahara means the evil artist. Yetzir Tov means the good artist. What does Yetzir do? Yetzir paints all good things to look ugly, all good things to look boring, to look foolish, and all bad things he paints as being amazing, worthwhile. So what Yetzir does is, what his method is, when you're, if you know you're, how do you know it's Yetzir or not Yetzir if it seems like it makes a lot of sense, and it seems like such a good idea, doesn't mean that it's a good idea. What the Eitzahara does is he blinds us. He makes us see things. As I think of it like a, as a as a, a bullfight. You know, they have the matador, and he holds up the the, the red flag, and the and the bull bolts after the red flag. The Eitzahara does a similar thing. The Eitzahara's system is is he gets us to be temporarily blinded. And we're thinking of things in a totally rational way. And it seems so rational at the time, and yet it's totally irrational. So, so he, he, 
Reb Nachman of Bresla famously gives a, this parable about this king who discovers that all the wheat in his kingdom, if you eat the wheat, you become insane. So he asks his advisor, what should we do? Do we eat the wheat or don't eat the wheat? If we eat the wheat, we become insane. If we don't eat the wheat, we'll die. What should we do? Eat the wheat or not? Don't eat the wheat. Remember what we do with Vitaly? What do you do? Yossi, remember what we do? No, you remember this, 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 this story? Shmuel remembers. You don't remember? Yeah. Ah, Rebello remembers. Very good. The minister tells the king, we can't not eat the wheat. We're going to die. We can't eat the wheat either because we're going to go insane. This is what we're going to do. We're going to eat the wheat. But I'll put on my forehead a sign that says, you are Meshuggah. And you put a sign on your forehead that says, you are Meshuggah. And that way we'll both remember that we're Meshuggah. If you know you're Meshuggah, you're only half Meshuggah. You know you're insane, only half insane. So in a similar way, the point of our class tonight is to be able to put a sign on our head to know when we're going Meshuggah. To know when the Yitzhah is leading us down the wrong road. To know this is the sign, I am going crazy. This isn't really as good as it seems. It's not correct. The way I'm thinking about this right now, it's, it's off. The Talmud says many fascinating stories about Rabbah Babrachan. Stories that are impossible. And there are various opinions about these stories that they must be just metaphors. One story the Talmud says about Rabbah Barachana is that Rabbah Barachana met the, those who travel on the sea, those who go out to travel on the ocean. And he, they said to him that when there's a boat, a big boat, and the boat is, meets this um, wave that will sink the boat, the wave looks like a white fire. It looks like a white fire that is that is glamorous, a, a blinding, beautiful white light in this wave. What does it look like? A white fire. A white fire, a beautiful white fire. That's what the wave looks like. So what's what is so what does that mean? And then they, and they said the way to deal with this with the wave is what do you do with the wave? How do you deal with the wave? You hit the wave with a piece of wood with the tree that it's engraved in the tree the names of Hashem and that's how you get the wave to calm down. What is it going on? Here? What's what's the Talmud talking about? This the you know what the boat is on? The boat is in a sham, which is in a body and an animal soul in the Sahara. and the person's at a moment of truth and he has this question: Should I make this? Should I do this or should I not do this? By the way, I, I talk to the country when, you, when, you, when you're whispering Mishnayis. Just letting you know. Anyway, so you have this, this, this huge possible error you can make. What are you going to do? This, this, why is it that Gemara is asking? Why is the people succumb to this crazy urge, this moment of truth that ruins their lives? What's going on in their heads when they see this big wave that's going to sink their boat? What's going on? What are they thinking? So Gemara answers, you know what this is? It looks like a beautiful white light. That's what's going on. They don't realize they're ruining their lives. They think this is amazing. So it's not like that you have passion against logic. It's you have logic against logic. We're dealing with this scenario right now where this guy wants to to cremate his mother and another member of the family wants to save her and wants to bury her and they're arguing, they're fighting. And what's the brother who is saying we should cremate her? It's ideological. It's for the benefit of what her mother's wishes are. 
<laughs> Not as bad. This is what his mother really wanted. What's going on? It, 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 it can't say to himself, uh, well, it's more expensive, or it's, or I, even though we're offering to pay the whole cost, he's saying, no, it's not because of the money, it's because of my, my, um, my conscience won't let me do it. He has to say it to himself. He has to say it to himself. Why does he have to say it to himself? Because he, he can't allow himself, it's so embarrassing to himself, look himself in the mirror and say, no, I'm not, I'm going to, 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 to ruin my, I'm going to act like a Nazi, worse than a Nazi, because the Nazis didn't do this to their own children, they only did this to the Rahman to the Jewish children, the Jewish men and women. They burned their bodies, so he says, oh, I'm not going to uh, do this um, uh, uh, because it's, it's, it's because of money. I'm going to do this because, because it's the right thing to do. It's very hard to talk. Someone was, uh, who works in this um, arena tries to help situations of cremation. He said, whenever someone wants to cremate because of money, we could always save. We could always save. We always will prevent someone from cremating. But if they want to cremate because of ideology, it's very hard. It's very hard. That, that's why... The word sin in Hebrew, avon, means crooked. Why does it mean crooked? Because a Jew can never knowingly say, I'm going to do something horrible. We can't live with that kind of, we have Jewish guilt. It doesn't let us live with that kind of, I'm going to do something horrible, really? Are you really, you're really okay to do something horrible? No, horrible doesn't work for Jews. What do we say? I had to do it. I didn't have a choice. This In this scenario, this is the right thing to do. Like Yankel, Yankel was telling me, you know why I, I did this uh, horrible thing of, of uh, going with his uh, married uh, woman, you know, because it was, she was so lonely. <laughs> she was so lonely. It was so, and, and this is what I, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing, but the Yitzhahara, what it does is he dresses himself in such wonderful, noble clothing. That's what Yitzhahara does. It's not that he tells us to do the wrong thing. He tells us this is the right thing. In the Hayom Yom, in the 23rd day of Sivan, the Rebbe quotes over there a, a, a letter of the previous Rebbe. He quotes the end of the, the, the conclusion, but not the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story was, Nachum of Chernobyl was not one of the more wealthier tzaddikim. When his daughter needed to get married, the, his household couldn't afford it. And this wealthy chassid was visiting the Rebbe, and the Gabai, the attendant of Ramnachim, he goes over to this wealthy man and he says, listen, there's not enough money to, to pay for the wedding. I want to ask you to give something, consider, you know, a substantial amount of money so that we could make the wedding for the Rebbe's daughter. Okay, I'm into it. And he comes into the Rebbe and when the Gabai went, the attendant went to go collect the funds that were that would he would regularly do, he'd go to the Rebbe's drawer and take all the funds, put them together and there's nothing there. There's a few rubles but not what this guy gave. It wasn't there. So he realized that the Rebbe gave it away. Another guy needed to marry off his daughter. He needed it alone right away. And the Rebbe gave the whole, whatever it was, a 500 silver ruble to this other guy. And this attendant, this rabbi, he, he was bothered by this. And he tells the Rebbe, I just want to ask you something. I know it's not my position to ask you these questions. You're the Rebbe. I'm just the attendant. But I just want to know, the guy gave you all this money why did you give it all of it away to this one person? I mean, you could have helped so many people with all this money. Why did you give it to one person? So the tzaddik said like this. I'll tell you the truth. At first, when he gave the money, I was thinking, wow, Baruch Hashem, I, I'm, I was happy to find favor in the eyes of Hashem, that this money was given to me, and it shows that I found favor in the eyes of Hashem, and, and that's wonderful. And then I thought, 
This poor guy comes in the next minute. He needs the money. I'll give it to him. And when I decided to give it away, then I had this brilliant idea of dividing it over 10 families. How come that idea didn't come to me originally when I decided to keep it? <laughs> I realized that this wasn't the Yetzir Tov. It wasn't the good inclination. This was the Yetzir Hara. Because he only came to me when I decided to give it away. When I, when I decided... Um, when I decided to keep it, you didn't come to me. When I decided to give it away, and it's, oh, divide it in 50 pieces. And I realized this was the Yitzhahar. So, the trick of the Yitzhahar is, he gets us temporarily insane, and he makes us not realize what we're doing. He, he justifies it. He says, this is really a good thing. It's a really good thing. That's why it says in Gemara that um, there's a discussion about Shechita, why is Shechita forbidden on Shabbos? What's wrong with Shechita? And the Gemara goes to different options. And one of the options the Gemara says is, the reason why now to do Shechita on Shabbos is because when you shech the animal, the blood colors, dyes the, 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 um, the uh, leather, the skin of the animal. It's, it's The reason why it's prompt to shech the animal on Shabbos because because it colors the skin, not a color on Shabbos, not a color hide on Shabbos. So it colors the skin. Well, Shemtev explained the deeper meaning of this teaching. Shemtev said, Mashiach will come. The Yitzhahar will say to Hashem, Hey, it's uh, not my fault. The Yitzhahar is the Sheikh. The Yitzhahar is, is, is like the slaughterer. Why is he a slaughterer? Because he takes all of our energy, our good energy, and he, uh, and, and, and he makes us lose our good energy, do all the good things. So the Yitzhahar says to Hashem, You want to slaughter me because of what I did? I'm just doing my job. Why should I get punished? I'm just doing my job. Why is he chayiv? Why is he Yitzhahara? Who's called the evil inclination? Who's called the shaykhid? Who takes away all of our good energy? He kills us. Takes away our energy. Why is he liable when Mashiach will come? What? Why is it his fault? What did he do that makes him um, guilty in the eyes of Hashem? He's just doing his job. The Gemara says, because he dyes things. Because he colors things. If he just said to us, do this wrong thing because it's tasty, no problem. Do this wrong thing because it's glorious, no problem. But he tells us this is the right thing. He tells us this is, this is not the bad thing. He tells us the good, this is the good thing. Reb Zusha and his brother Ramelech once had the following conversation. Unbelievable conversation. Only conversation that tzaddikim of this stature could possibly have. This conversation went like this. When God created Adam, every soul that will ever be born was within Adam. So Ramelech said to his brother Abzusha, when you saw Adam about to eat from the tree of knowledge, you were inside of Adam. You must have been his head or his hands or his feet or his toes. You must have been, every soul was inside Adam. It says that the loftier souls were his heart, his brain, but the lower souls were his feet. Abzusha, he must have been way up there, right? Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you hold him back from eating from the tree? Why did you let him do it? That's what Amelech has Abzusha. You know what Abzusha said? So that way, people will know that a mistake is a mistake. No such thing as a small thing. No such thing as, oh, it's just a small thing. Well, no, this is a mistake, and it's wrong. In Tanya, in chapter 24, the author says something, more, something very relevant to all of us. We need to walk away from this class uplifted. This is Parshas Naso. Parashat also means to be uplifted, lift our heads up, to lift up, to think about things in a higher and deeper way, not the way we did before. That's why this Shabbos, we read the longest parashat of the Torah. How many psukim zalman? 
Oh, with this Rashi, the whole thing? Is 176. 176 is also number number of Sukim in chapter, the not longest chapter of Tilim. Go for your test, 119, there's 176 Sukim. And the Gemara of Ababasha, the longest track in the Shas, is also 176 pages. It's also this week the longest Medish, and it's also, if you the it's the longest this week, the longest Zohar, right? The longest Zohar. Why is it so big? The big, biggest Torah portion, the biggest, because since we're coming from the heart of giving the Torah, it's time to put our, our Hashem wants us to scuba dive and submerge our minds into higher things. So we have to come away from this class to have a higher perspective about mistakes and about where we are so that we don't, we don't get caught with this kind of stuff. So we have to catch the Yitzhahara when he enters. Catch him when he comes in. There was this lady having a very hard time with her diet. And she was, it was before Shavuos and she bought all this cheesecake for her shul, and and she was she called her her coach. She's driving. She's in traffic. She's hungry, and she asked her coach, "What should I do? I'm so hungry, and I have all this cheesecake in the car." And she had lost so much weight. It's very hard, you know. Very hard. Let me give you an example before I tell you the end of the story. Yankel was an alcoholic, and his wife was very upset at him, and she threatened to leave him. But Yankel said, I, he tried, and he was able to, to, to get himself off of, his, of, off of his addiction. But one day Yankel leaves the house and he's going to go take a drink. And Yankel turns back and says, I'm not going to have the drink. And he was going back and forth, I'm going to have the drink, not have the drink, I'm going to go have the drink, not have the drink. And he says, you know, I'm not going to have the drink. And he goes back to his house. I did it. I deserve a drink. <laughs> and you think it's exaggerating? exaggerating? It's not exaggerating at all. Is not is exactly how addiction works. Exactly how Yitzhahara works. This is exactly how all of us work. It's, it gets us the subtle thing and slips, and we we lose it. Says the Alter Ben Tanya, you have to realize that just like you'd rather give your life, you'd rather die than do a idolatry. We would. That's what we are. Tzara Sharma would rather die than commit the sin of idolatry. So how much more so? Should we be ready to give up any kind of passion, any kind of whim, any kind of our money, our health, to do a mitzvah, to connect to Hashem? Because every Aveda separates us from Hashem, absolutely. Every Aveda causes an eternal separation from Hashem. It, it cuts us off. Every Aveda, no such thing as a light Aveda. That's how Yosef, hey Yosef, how come Yosef didn't succumb to the sin of the wife of Potiphar? What does the Torah say? What did he see? You know, image of his father. What's the image of his father? So he saw the image of his father. What if he saw the image of his uncle and of his grandfather? He had, he had a thought first. He had yeah, thought to do with his sin. Yeah. But why didn't he sin? He saw the image of his father. One explanation now is the image of his father is Yaakov, Jacob, looked just like Adam. So Yosef felt just like the first mistake of Adam and Eve was catastrophic for, for the rest of history until today. Until Mashiach comes. He he realizes no such thing as a small mistake. No such thing as a small mistake. That's what Alter wants to convey to us in Tanya that no such thing as a small mistake. This is this is this is the stakes are high. This is a mitzvah. This is what Hashem is asking from you. Okay, think about this. Before the giving of the Torah, what's the difference? We just celebrated the giving of the Torah. What's the difference between the giving of the Torah and before the giving of the Torah? Imagine you're uh, you're studying in Chaim and Achim, and you're learning how good it is to be kind and to be generous and just daven and to do all these wonderful things. 
That's amazing. That's how it was before the giving of the Torah. You had Avraham, you had Yitzchak, you had Yaakov. They're teaching how amazing, how the best way you should live your life. What had changed when God gave us the Torah? You're no longer listening to a teacher telling you that this is a good way to live your life. You listen to the king of all kings. God himself is next to you. And God himself says, this is what I want you to do. It's a whole different thing. That's what giving the Torah is meant to convey to us that it's, that it's real. That it's Hashem. The essence, Hashem himself is looking at us and giving us, this is what I want you to do. That's, that's what Yosef felt. When, and that's why he resisted. We're getting back to this lady with the, uh, with the, with the, with the cheesecake. You know, this year, by the way, Yosef, you know that this year, Shavuos was on May 25th, which is national. You ready for this? Yeah, I told you, right? Blueberry Cheesecake Day. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not, you know, Google it. Anyways, so what did the lady do? She lost so much weight. She was about to go, and she called her coach. And her coach said, go right now to the supermarket and go buy a hot dog. <laughs> so she, went, she ate a hot dog, and she couldn't. She's not allowed to have any milk. It's impossible. So that's the answer of Yitzhahara. The answer is, don't let him have any space in your head. Don't let him in. Don't let him in. Once he's in, says in Tanya, when you wrestle with someone who's dirty, you get dirty. Don't let him in. Don't let the thought come in your head. When you realize, Abzama Meisha, this guy's namesake, my great-great-grandfather, he quotes chapter 12 in Tanya. It was very into this, chapter 12 in Tanya. You know what he said about talking about? You know what he says? I'm telling you about chapter 12 in Tanya. Chapter 12 in Tanya, it says... That when, he, when a Benini, when somebody who is doing it right, realizes that there is a not good thought coming into his head, what does he do? He pushes it away with both hands. With both hands, he pushes it away. So Rabbi Zalmesha said, why is he pushes away with both hands? But if you're not pushing it away with both hands, one hand is bringing it in. As <laughs> soon he emphasized, he was very into miyajinist, the moment he realizes this isn't good, the moment, that was, that was his thing, not just the two hands, miyajinist, he didn't let the Yitzhara have room in his head, he doesn't let him take up space. Once he's in your head and he's playing around with you, that's it. Don't let him in. You know what, you, you know what, you recognize the voice, you know where it's coming from, don't let him in. Say, so, soul. We should be uplifted oh, out of all of this Nareshkeit, and we should scuba dive into, into Torah, oh, scuba dive into the good things, Amen. and we should be uplifted right now to Yerushalayim, oh, the Mashiach Sakeinu. Oh,